Good morning. Welcome to Three Rivers Community Church. If you're a guest, we want to say thank you for being here. I know it's summertime and folks are kind of vacationing and by God's grace, next Monday I'm going to be leaving for a little beach time too. And so um, that's good. And so if you're a visitor, we want to say welcome. If you're a member, if you've been to Three Rivers for a while and you're a member or you've just been here a while, make sure you greet people, okay? Remember, if you're a Three Rivers person, by default, you're a greeter, okay? Just because it's not your week to set up and greet doesn't mean you're not a greeter. So make sure you're greeting, making folks feel at home. Um, I've just discovered I love standing in front of the speakers when it's time to sing because I can really sing the way I want to sing. And nobody can hear because other than that, it's like pretty ugly. And so I'm pretty thankful. I just realized, dude, that's pretty awesome. So if you are like me and you're a little like, dude, I don't want to sing to the Lord, but it's kind of weird because I'm terrible. Find a speaker, gather in front of it. Nobody can hear you except Jesus. It's pretty cool. So I experienced that. and That was a nice moment. So a place for me, a place for me. Um, we've been studying. I've been studying for quite a while. Fellowship, life together under the word. I've said before, and I'll say it again, it's our greatest challenge in the next 10 years is fellowship. It's not how to do missions. It's not how to do church planting. It's not, um, it's not how to do better children's stuff and radical kids. It's, it's not better ministry in our town. It, it's, it's fellowship. We live in a context and a culture in which fellowship is somewhere down the list of priorities way, way, way down. And, and if you've been here for a while, you've been studying through this, you, you know where we're going with this. Fellowship, life together under the Word. We don't mean simply eating a meal together. We mean doing life together. That is a band of people in the gospel, on the same mission, doing it together. Meaning there's time together. There's submission to one another. There's love for God, love for each other. It's absolutely essential. In our context, we value individuality, we value independence, we value anything other than depending on other people. I was talking with some folks this week, when there are things that I can just do, I just do them. Why? Because I can. And, and, and to a fault, I'm independent. We were not made to live that way. The Father does not operate independently of the Son. If you remember all the way back to the introduction of this, some... Um, 32 years ago, we've been studying through this for a while. We, we looked at the basis of fellowship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are in, in fellowship, Trinitarian union. Father, Son, and Spirit together, distinct, yet together. And, and fellowship is built on Trinity. And so the Son doesn't operate apart from the Father. The Spirit doesn't operate apart from the Son. It, it, it is an interdependent union, meaning that's how we're to live. Our homes are to look like that, and church life is to look like that. And that's the basis of everything John is saying to this band of Christians that he's writing to. And so fellowship, life together, under the Word. Today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. And we're going to read that together here. Um, I think we're going to have it up on the screen behind us here. And uh, I'm going to read it, and I'd like you to read it with me, okay? Um, it's okay to read out loud. Uh, you can look at it on the screen and just kind of go together, okay? If This is English Standard Version, all right? And so if you don't have an ESV, it may sound a little weird to you, but that's okay. Read it out loud, all right? It's all right. It's the Word of the Lord, right? We're going to read it together. We're going to work ourselves through it. We're going to make some application of this today, okay? First John 2, 12 to 17. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the enabling power of Holy Spirit, we ask that you would cause this text to be alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. May it penetrate to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We pray that you would counsel us, Spirit, into truth. Remind us of all that's been said. Lead us to the Son. Jesus, take us to the Father so that we may have fellowship with you. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that we then may have our joy together under the word complete. Would you do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fellowship. A little summary uh, of what we're going to talk about today is this. In verse 12 through 17. And believe it or not, verse 12 through 14 and then verse 15 to 17 go together. Just a little Bible study note. Uh, don't read your Bible based on the bold highlighted sections in it. Okay? Those are not inspired. Alright? You have to read the text in the flow of the thoughts of the words, right? Reading, you know, letters stuck together into words, stuck together in sentences, divided by punctuation, right? And then put in paragraph form, thought. you got to read it, all right? And so remember, don't read based on the bold divisions, okay? Read the whole thing. Verse 12 through 14 and 15 to 17 go together, and there's a reason for that. This morning we're going to take a look at those who are left, those people who have not abandoned the church, those people who haven't walked away after some novel, new, super spiritual teaching, are being written to by John. And he wants to remind them that they know God. And that their job in knowing God then is to reject the world and to love God and to love each other and stay on mission. And that's the purpose of this text, to give you a summary of the meaning of verse 12 through 17. That would be it. Those who know God reject the world. They love God. They stay on mission. And by the way, just so you know, I'm not going to post my notes on the blog anymore. There's a reason for that. The reason for that is because I have discovered, and and I think it's taken me a while to listen to the Lord on this. um, It is impossible for me to make application to every individual in this room. I can't do that. And just because you walk away with a note in front of you. Or a bold statement or an outline. Doesn't mean you got it. I'm not concerned with you memorizing my points. What I'm concerned with is that the Spirit of God would take His Word. And apply it to you right where you are today. In the secret hidden places of your soul. That's a supernatural activity, and I can't do that. It's impossible for me to do. He can. He can. Because you know what I continue to see is folks come up and say, man, when you're preaching, the Lord said this to me. And I'm like, that's awesome, because I didn't say that. You know why? Because the Lord said it. Spirit said it to the soul, ministering to people through the preaching of His Word. That's kind of how He works. Okay? And so my goal isn't that you walk away remembering any and everything I said this morning. My goal is that through the preaching of the word, spirit would speak to you, enable, quicken, bring to life things that need to be brought to life. Because the bottom line reality is this morning, I want the Holy Spirit to do the applying, not me. But in order for that to happen, you have to be good soil for that to happen. Repentant. If sin is ruling your day today, if rebellion against the Lord, if sin against another person, if backstabbing, hurting, wounding of other people is ruling your world today, you're not going to hear the Spirit today. There's going to be the sound of silence. If you're not in fellowship today, if you're not in fellowship with God's people, you may not hear today. If you're not seeking the truth In Scripture, you may not hear today. If you're not in unity, you may not hear today. If you're not expectant, you may not hear today. If you're not walking with the Lord in community, learning to hear the Lord, you may not hear today. So if that is you, my hope is that you don't walk away with a bunch of bolded points or an outline or can go to the blog and listen and follow along. My hope is that the Spirit of God would convict you and make things right and you begin to walk with Him. 
Because when you walk with Him, all those things begin to work themselves into line. And so the goal this morning is that you would hear the word of the Lord and He would do a work in you that I can never begin to do. Okay? You ready for that ride? Let's do it. I was in Minneapolis back in February. Um, if you go to the pastor's conference, Desiring God Pastor's Conference, you have an opportunity to spend some time with other pastors. They encourage that. And I'm sitting at a, a round table outside in the, in the little convention center because it's like Minneapolis and it's like 23 below zero and, and you don't go outside unless you like want to die. And so you're sitting around a table, meeting a little breakfast, hanging out with some pastors from the Minnesota area. And this is a divine moment for me. It was a holy moment. It was one of those moments where the Lord spoke. He spoke clearly. He used another individual to speak a word to me. He gave me a word to speak to another individual. But the coolest part of that was I'm glad that the other person received what I said to them because it was a word from the Lord through me to them. But even cooler was what the Lord said to me. And the gentleman speaking wasn't even addressing me. We were just having a general discussion about the work of evangelism. And here's what he said. Looking at another individual... And this was the cool thing for me. And by the way, the way the Lord speaks to me is probably not the way He's going to speak to you. We're individuals. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. You're a different wired bug than me. And He wants to know you and He wants you to know Him. So this is just the way the Lord works with me, okay? I'm just telling you because what He said was really cool. The thing sort of slowed down, almost slow motion. And hear the words. There are two kinds of evangelism in Acts. Peter to the Jew and Paul to the Gentile. And in that moment, there was an answer to a prayer. And that prayer has been, Lord, why, why Rome, Georgia? Why did you put us here? Like, I understand what you have said, and I understand the fact that there needs to be a gospel, many gospel works. By the way, there's never enough churches. Do not, you will never read in the Bible where it says there's enough churches in that town. It's not in the manual. Until every soul hears and responds to the gospel, either yes or no, the work is not done. There are never enough churches. If today, okay, of the 140-ish churches in Floyd County, if every 90-plus thousand individual was in a church in Roman Floyd County, we don't have enough. We need thousands more to be effective. And they can't be too big because here's the deal. When you get too big, folks can come in, never engage, get a product and walk out and never be in fellowship. And that's not the church. That's consuming a product. We're not a product to be consumed. I am not a product to be consumed. I'm an individual, desperately lost, saved, by the grace of God, intended to be in fellowship with other people. And I'm not a product to be consumed. You are not products to be consumed. You are to be in fellowship with other Christians. And you know what? That can only happen at a certain level of people in a room. We all know sociologically how that works. So there are never enough churches. We need to plant churches like Pez dispensers, man. We need to be spitting them out as quickly as we can spit them out. Strategically, that was Paul's work. It needs to be our work here. And what the Lord began to say to me there was, I have not wasted time by putting you in Rome. Peter was sent to the Jew. Paul was sent to the Gentile. And here's what the Lord began to speak to the rest of that day is, I put you in Rome because I've sent you to the Jew. Figuratively speaking, understand, who was the Jew? They knew who God was. They knew the Scriptures. They had, they had the Scriptures. What was missing? Jesus. The gospel. I'm telling you something. If you're from this town, you know exactly what I just said. Because there are lots of God-fearers in our town. Right? All you got to do is go knock on the door. Listen, come with me one day downtown with Bibles and hand out Bibles. Everybody, everybody's been saved. If you talk to people in Roman Fort County, everybody's been saved. Who's Jesus? What did he do? I'm not real sure. You go to church? No, no, not really. I've been saved, though. What is that, man? Seriously. And here's the harsh reality, guys. We live in a town of God-fearers. And a God-fearer is not a Christian. 
Because what happened when Acts 16, Paul shows up because the Spirit gave them a vision where they're supposed to be. And so rather than going this direction, they went this direction. They go across the sea and they, they meet some folks gathering, looking for a Jewish synagogue, God-fearers. And what happens? Lydia's there. And the Lord opens her eyes to hear the gospel. She responds and is saved. They get thrown in jail. Philippian jailer believes the gospel. Next thing you know, you've got a bunch of God-fearers who believe the gospel and a church was planted. That's our job here. It's to preach the gospel to people who know the names. They know the terminology. Many of them have the book. They don't know what the book says. And so God said, you are called to the Jew. You are to work among the Jew. You are to plant churches among the Jew. The Roman God fear. That's our task here. That's our work here. Because here's the deal. We all understand and know that we're in a town that has the appearance of godliness but has denied the very power of the gospel. In order to make the gospel dent in our culture that needs to be made, in order to make a gospel dent in a God-fearing culture, we're going to have to hold on to the truths that we know. And we're going to have to reject the system of lies that stand contrary to the gospel, which John calls the world. And we're going to have to stay on mission and loving each other, loving God, and going forward with the gospel. That's what we have to do. In order to make a dent in a God-fearing culture, we're going to have to hold on to the truths we know. We have to stand opposed to the lies of the world system. Love God, love each other, and stay on mission. Again, we come to this passage. John is addressing a group of Christians who've stayed faithful to the gospel. There's been some really cool, um, nice, packaged, new teaching that's come around. And it's super spiritual. And these folks have super spiritual insight. And everybody else is just kind of dumb and kind of left behind. And, and they're being enticed to come into this. And they've departed from the gospel. And this group of Christians who stayed faithful, John's writing to them, as I unpacked a couple of weeks ago, to remind them who they are, what the truth is, and to tell them to stay steadfast in the gospel. He's reminded them that they know the truth. They know who God is. They know the word of the gospel. The spirit of God abides in them. They have the win over the evil one. But they're being pressed hard by the world system. And they're going to have to not conform to those lies, but remain faithful to the gospel, stand firm in the kingdom of God, and continue to do God's purpose and God's will in this world system. Guys, it's exactly what we have to do. Listen. In a God-fearing culture, many of us know some truths. I think in the life of our church, we have done a fairly decent job at opening the Word and teaching. And opening the Scriptures. And laying for you out the Scriptures. How to study your Bible. What does the Bible say? Keeping us centered on the Gospel. But that is not always the case in our town. All you have to do is spend some time with some folks... Talk about Jesus and you will discover very quickly there is a lack of unpacking the gospel with people in our town. It's missing. So for us today who's on the mission of staying faithful to the gospel, trying to propagate the good news in our town and staying on task, we're going to have to be reminded the truths we know. Stand firm on those truths. Stay on the mission. What are the truths that John's going to affirm for them In this passage, verse 12 through 14, John addresses little children, fathers, and young men. So the first thing I want you to note this morning is John affirms the truth that is already known. He says, little children, fathers, and young men. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here on little children, fathers, and young men. Um, I even hesitate to even tell you this because I don't want you to miss the point. There's a literary device here, all right? And that literary device forms the Greek letter X if you play with it literarily, which is the Greek letter used to designate Christ, Jesus, the Christ. And so that's kind of cool. If you want to go read up on that, go get a commentary. But it's really, really cool. And I don't want you to miss the point, okay? But he uses three designations here in this little literary device to point this church to what they know. He starts with little children. This is John's favorite designation in all of 1 John for this church, little children. I think this, this designation is him addressing the whole body. Then he addresses fathers. 
That's a no duh. Right? Fathers. And then young men. That is that next step down and growing into fatherhood. Young men who are growing into being husbands one day and then going to grow into fatherhood. All the people, then particularly the fathers and the young men. All the people, leaders, and then the next generation leaders. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I think it's important to note. His designation here to all people is important. He's speaking to everybody. So this morning, this text is for all of us. Secondly, he begins to address the fathers. Men, you're leaders. You're to be the spiritual head of your home. You are to be the one unpacking the truths of Scripture. You're to be the one setting the spiritual tone in the home. You're to be the one who prays over, who sets the guard over your home. You're to be the one who's aware of the spiritual war. You are to be the one guarding the home. And apparently that hadn't happened here very well because many have been taken captive by this false teaching. They've gone out with the liars. And if the dads had done their job, maybe that wouldn't have happened. We don't know. But he addresses the fathers. Then he addresses the young men. Hey, you young guys. You're a next generation of leaders. I'm going to say this in just a few minutes, but you're a next generation of leaders. Pastoral ministry isn't for the person who has a golden halo over their head and, and they shine and have an aura about them. Pastoral ministry in the church is reserved for those who, Paul says to young Timothy, who aspire to the office of overseer. If God has put a desire in you to shepherd the people of God, then that's how you know you're called to pastoral ministry. It's not like this massive dream and then the light shines and everybody sees, gosh, there's a light coming down on this guy. He must be called to pastoral ministry. That's not how it happens. If there's a desire in your heart to shepherd the people of God, then God set you apart as an overseer. You're a next generation. If we're going to plant churches like Paul planted churches, it can't be the current system that's in place where we wait for one or two guys every now and then who, who kind of has some kind of thing going on. and like, whoa, preacher. No. No. It's going to be you. It's going to be you who works a job and shepherds the people of God. So he addresses this church, all of them, fathers, make sure you're the leader. Young men, you're the next generation leader. And here's what he tells them that they know. Little children, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Fathers, I'm writing to you because you know him who's from the beginning. Young men, I'm writing to you because you've overcome the evil one. Little children, you know the father. Fathers, you know him who's from the beginning. Young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He reminds them some basic truths. You've been forgiven for his name's sake. You know him who's from the beginning. You've overcome the evil one. You know the father. You know him who's from the beginning. You're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Guys, remember, those are the basic things we know. We know those things to be true. The problem is, in our town, many people do not know those things to be true. But what's the challenge that the world system is going to throw at them to seek to pervert the work? Point number two, John warns about the war that they have and the war that we're going to have. I'm going to say this on the front end. John uses the word world a couple of different ways. In the Gospel of John, he records Jesus using the word world in reference to people, us, in the created order. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? But when John references the word world here, he's speaking of it in a different fashion. Because in 1 John 5.19, he says, And we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, obviously, if Satan is ruling the created order and all of humanity, we have a conflict, don't we? There's a problem. A, he's a created being. He does not have that authority. Scripture teaches very clearly who rules the created order and who made it and who rules it. And that is the triune God of the universe. So when John speaks about the world here, he's not talking about us, nor is he talking about the created order. He's speaking about the next three things he's going to list here. He says, do not love the world 
or the things in the world. So many people abuse this passage and talk about enjoying life. We learn the created order. Everything God made was good. And unfortunately, so many people use this designation to talk about everything in the world is horrible. We need to hole up and study our Bibles and make sure we read the, the King James Version. And we don't wear those clothes because those clothes are sinful. And, and don't look like that because that's sinful. Because that's just the world, man. That's worldly music. Really? Is that what John meant? No, it's not what he meant at all. Listen to how he defines the world. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, desires of eyes, pride and possessions. John defines the world. Those three things are what lie in the power of the evil one. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride and possessions. That's the world system that is opposing what these Christians know to be true. And just so you know. Those truths that we know, we know the Father, we know who was from the beginning, the Spirit of God abides in us, we've overcome the evil one, we know the Father, our sins are forgiven, we know those glorious truths, but those truths will be fought against by the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in what we possess. Those three things, by the way, show up in two places in your Bible, Genesis 3, the temptation with Eve, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, and the temptation of Jesus. Those three things show up there. Very quickly, if you would go with me to Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to take a look at it very, very quickly. Genesis 3, 6. Notice the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride and possessions. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make you wise. Feed myself. It's pretty. And I can get wisdom. Lust the flesh. Lust the eyes. Pride and possessions. These three lies are not new. They are the original lies that brought about the fall in the first place. Is it wrong to eat? Dang straight, it ain't. I ain't going to let you answer that one. It is not wrong to eat. Glory to God. I have not had breakfast and I am about to pass from the earth. It is good to eat. What's the problem here? There was one command. Don't eat from that tree. Adam and Eve had the whole created order. Not just the Garden of Eden. The whole earth to eat from. And what did God say? Go, eat, enjoy, multiply, fill the earth. What a great job. But the lust of the flesh, ooh, that, that, that fruit, that one. Oh, and it's pretty. Ooh, and if I do that, then I can get wisdom. May the Lord give you ears to hear. What is that thing that captivates your fallen desires? What is that thing that, that drags you? You know, and here's the deal. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize that the lust of the flesh is being appealed to. It's something that's pulling you away from the gospel. Is there something that captivates your attention more than Jesus? Is there something that rules your world more than the gospel? Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. It's attractive. It's attractive, man. It keeps my attention. I'm gazing, looking at it. www.whatever. You know what I'm saying? Lust of the eyes. What is it that's attractive? What is it that captivates your attention? Pride and possessions. I can be wise. I can have this. I can have that. 
and you take more pride in what you possess. And what you've seen and what you go after than you do Jesus. Those are the same three things Satan comes with comes at in Matthew chapter four with Jesus. If you will turn there with me very quickly. Matthew chapter four. Just say this very quickly. It will be those three temptations that will rob gospel effectiveness. You can't be sold out to the gospel if your flesh is pursuing anything other than Jesus. You're in flesh, understand biblically, that is fallen desires that are contrary to the gospel. Okay? We've got our little ones in here today, so I won't be explicit. But some of you guys in particular know some of those things. Ladies, you know them too. It's different. But we all have them. Right? Um, lust of the eyes. What is it captivates us? What is it that we're going after? We try to possess. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I think the understatement of this century in the Bible is Matthew 4, 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> and by the way, let me just be clear. A biblical fast is no food. Okay? There is Daniel's fast, which is pretty cool. That's all right. You know. So if you want to do that, that's cool. But at least there's food. Jesus didn't do the Daniel fast. He hasn't eaten or drank 40 days. Miracle, by the way. And he's hungry. Well, no duh. So what does Satan do? You're the son of God. You can take these rocks and make them bread. Appeal to his flesh. Flesh is hungry. Would it be wrong for Jesus to eat? Well, no. Eating is not evil. Was the purpose to eat at that moment in time? No, the purpose was to feast on the word of God, to hear from the Lord, to be strengthened for going to the cross. Then look what he does to him. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. And then, by the way, he quotes Psalm 91 explicitly, straight up, doesn't abuse it, quotes it as it is. He'll command his angels concerning you and on their hands they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. This is temptation to avoid the cross by this miraculous event. If I jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he'll send the angels, swoop me up. The world will see no need to believe by faith. No need for the cross, right? They'll see it will appeal to their attention, right? And what does the Lord do? Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Pride and possessions. The devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. You ever read that and thought that's funny? It is. He already owns the nations. He's the creator of the nations. Jesus, this is important for you to know this. Jesus didn't come into existence at Christmas. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, he's the eternal son of God, pre-existent son, creator of the universe. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus made those nations. And he's sitting here saying, hey, I'll give you the nations, man. And Jesus, dude, I own the nations. Listen, man, this is important for us to recognize the temptation of the world that robs us from the things we know and the gospel effectiveness of doing gospel work, loving God, loving each other, are lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride and possessions. Things we go after because we just lust after them and we want them for whatever reason they compete with Jesus. And again, may we have ears to hear. May the Spirit of God right now reveal to us the things that compete with the gospel. Things we see, they're pretty. They captivate our attention and we look to those things if somehow there's a promise there. I can avoid difficulty. I can avoid this if I do that or if I go after that. These things won't happen to me. Pride and possession. If I just have this, it'll be all good, right? I just get this, it'll be all right. If I can just get that truck. Like I was thinking about this the other day, man. It's like, you know, guys, guys like trucks, right? Don't we like trucks? If you don't like a truck, I'm going to pray. May you repent and believe the gospel, man. We like trucks. And, you know, some guys, man, they, they, they think about how they can get the F-250 King Ranch, you know, four-door bad boy, you know, um, that's like a house payment. And they find ways to do it. And they go and they get it. Some of us want the 1990 Ford F-250 that's extended cab. 
that doesn't have a computer, that doesn't need an MIT nerd to hook it up to a computer and figure out what's wrong with it. You can open the creek, your Silver Creek, you can open the hood, figure it out, and you're like, there you go, fix it, done. And dude, that truck don't break. I can put that truck in the woods. It's awesome. I can throw my deer I just killed in the back of it, wash the blood out, and I'm good. I'm good to go. And whether it's the F-250 from 1990 or F-250 from 2013, the point isn't the truck. The point is that I find pride in possessing something. The point is that I have pursued something more than I've pursued Jesus. Is it wrong to get a truck? No, I really need like a truck, by the way. And so I'm looking for something about $5,000. Pay cash for it, which, by the way, I will shame your house payment with my $5,000 truck. You just watch me. See what I'm saying? So it's not so much the truck, but it's the fact that I beat the house payment guy truck with cash. And you can't break mine. It's like, so the point isn't the truck. The point is, what is it I find pride in? What is it that I lust after with my eyes and my flesh? What is it that I'm going after? And what do you notice here? What's not part of the discussion? The gospel. How am I making disciples? What does the church look like? What's the health of the church? We get caught up in doing stuff. And you know what? That's the deal here. These false teachers were offering something that appealed to the flesh. It appealed to the eyes. It was something to be possessed. Rather than something that transformed how they felt, transformed how they saw, and changed what they found pride in. You see, if we come to Jesus, He fixes and begins to work on the lust of the flesh. so that We begin to desire Him more than stuff. We begin to not look to things before we look to Him. And we desire to possess the cross before we desire to possess anything else. Our boast is the cross. Isn't that what Paul said? May I boast in nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Listen guys, the gospel will make us crazy looking. Jesus will make us crazy looking. These people are weird. They don't look weird, but they go after weird stuff. They have weird desires. They want to go to weird places. They want to do weird work. They turn down more to have more of Jesus. They, I don't know what it is. They love each other. They gather together. You can't rip them apart. They love each other. They do, they do crazy things with their money. What's wrong with these people? What's wrong is the gospel. And this is the war we fight. This war is raging. What is it that captivates our flesh and our, our eyes? And what is it we take pride in having? Lust of the flesh, gratifying fallen desires. Lust of the eyes, strong desire for the outward form of things. It's a lust for the superficial. Pride and possessions, empty haughtiness, being worldly minded. So here's a question. How were they... To stay in this truth they already knew and reject this world system. What do we do to stay in the truths we know and reject the world system? John gives us the answer. Verse 15. You ready? Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now listen, you know one of the things I love about studying the Bible is very few passages require a rocket scientist to understand. It's dirt simple. Here's the challenge, doing it. Because we fight the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and pride and possessions. Those things, those worldly influences, and understand worldly right. Okay, you understand world now, I hope. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride and possessions. Those things are always warring against the gospel. And so what does John tell these Christians who've remained faithful to the gospel to do? He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Let me state that positively for you. Ready? Love truth rather than the world. Love the truth of the gospel rather than the world. Now when I say love the truth of the gospel, you need to hear that properly. I don't mean with your mind, get it around what the truth is and love it with your mind only. As Brian just said a moment ago, with every fiber of your being, if we love it with our mind, we've got to love it with our hands and our feet too. Meaning that if we love the gospel, it has to affect what we say and what we do. It affects everything. John says here, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Guys, this is a sobering challenge. If I love the pursuit of my fallen desires 
and the outward form of things and what I have more than I love Jesus, I have a salvation problem. Notice what he says here. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Meaning, God hasn't transformed you. You don't love God, and there isn't any salvific love poured out on you just yet. This is a call to repentance. If you love these things, John says, you're not walking in the Father. If we love the world, we don't love the Father. And more importantly, we don't love the Father's people. Let me ask you this question. Could it be one of the reasons that the challenge of fellowship in the Western church is so big is because we love the world more than we love the gospel? Because if we love the gospel, we will have love for each other and fellowship. The church wouldn't be in decline in North America. It would be exploding. Could it be that we love stuff more than Jesus? It's a question we have to ask. So how can we love God? How can we love each other better? How can we stay in these truths that we know? How can we love the truth, not the world? Let me give you four quick things. Build the soul more than you build anything else. Construct the health of your soul more than you construct anything else. Do you spend time on your soul? The lie of naturalism is that you are only a biological entity. Only. We're evolving. Everything is biological. Here's the problem. The Bible says we're also a soul. There's an immaterial portion to who we are. The body's fallen. It's going to rot away. I just buried my last parent a month ago because the body rots away. Doesn't work. We spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about how to make this secure monthly payments on an alarm system that really will not work. We think somehow security is an attainable reality. It's not. It's not attainable. It's a lust of the eyes. It's a lust of the flesh. Because if we obey the gospel, what do we have to throw to the wind? Security. Unreached people groups aren't reached with a value of security. They're reached with a value of death. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We have to value our soul. We have to look to our soul and feed our soul. Are you feeding your soul more than you're feeding anything else? Fellowship. We have to fellowship more than isolate. And by the way, when I say fellowship, understand I'm talking about local church connection. The Bible teaches local local church membership. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us to submit to our leaders because they care for your souls. You can't submit to a leader you're not in fellowship with. That goes for me too, by the way. I have men I submit to. The way we work this bad boy is they can get rid of me tomorrow if they want to. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm one man, one vote. You know what I'm saying? So I submit. We all have to be in submission. You can't be in submission to leaders unless you're in covenant community with those leaders. And we talk about fellowship. We're talking about being connected to a body of people on a gospel mission together. It's vital. We've done that already, and we talked in the introduction like 29,000 weeks ago. You can go back and listen to them online. Do ministry. Do evangelism. Advance the kingdom of God. Engage yourself in gospel ministry. And there are plenty of options. Do evangelism. man. You, you know one of the things as Southern Baptists we've discovered that we don't do well anymore? Is preach the gospel to lost people. If we believe the gospel, we will tell the good news to people who need to know. we got stacks of Bibles in the back, really nice, small ESV leather ones. I challenge you, go get one. Put your name, email address, phone number in it. Go somewhere where people hang out and providentially trust the sovereignty of God to put you in front of somebody who needs to hear the gospel. You talk about fun. 
That's a blast. That's a good time. Go give it a whirl. We'll baptize more than three next time around. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. It's easy to fall in love with large structures and miss the gospel. You know, you can manufacture a gathering of people. You can't manufacture a movement. Where the church is growing by leaps and bounds in the east. And when I say east, I mean China, Indonesia, Malaysia. The church is hardly recognizable by a westerner. It's simple. There are no CEOs running it. It's not organizationally smart according to our business models in the West. So we simply keep things simple. We focus on Jesus and the gospel. And we ride the wave of the movement that God brings. Because what John tells us here is the love of the world will not last and it will come to nothing. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. The lust of flesh, lust of eyes and pride and possessions, it's going away. It's not going to last. Let me just be very frank with you. We're all marching toward the appointed day in which we're going to pass. It's going away. The love of the world is not going to last. It's going to come to nothing. You will leave behind everything you've gathered and someone else will divide it. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about that, by the way. It's in the manual. The love of the world will not last. It's coming to nothing. But what lasts? The love of God and the love of each other that bears fruit for eternity. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Fruit of fellowship and love of God is eternal. That's how we know if we've loved the gospel. When we invest in each other in the gospel. Finally, how do we fight the world? How do we stay in the truth that we know we love the truth, not the world? And finally, we stay on mission. We stay on mission. The mission of our church hasn't changed. The mission of Three Rivers Community Church, if you go through the new members class, we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about what God's put us here to do. We say it like this. For the glory of God, build the church, both local and global, by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. That's another little smart way to say we're doing the Great Commission. For the glory of God, build the church. God's great purpose is that He would be magnified, exalted, lifted high. That's the chief end of everything. That's the purpose, that's the point for our good Presbyterian brethren and sistren in this room who's raised right on the Westminster Confession. You know it. It's first question and first answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the mission of the Bible. It's to show you the glory of God and that we would fall in love with that, that our vision would be changed, that the way we see would be shifted, what we desire would change. The lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes and pride and possession would be gone and we would, we would have our eyes open to see the glory of God. Listen, man, we're about to respond to the Lord in song. I posted a video on the blog. I hope you watched it. If you haven't, go watch it. It's pretty fun. Just unpacking some of the sounds the universe is making. Do you understand that supernovas right now are putting out sounds? Stars make noise that sound like drum beats and string section. The heavens, the Bible tells us, are telling the glory of God. Listen, we're going we're gonna to do songs in a minute because the Bible teaches us to respond to the Lord in song. But God's glory isn't hanging on whether or not you decide to sing this morning because He's got His own drum section, His own string section, He's got His own voices coming out of the sea. Whales, talk! And the heavens are telling the glory of God and you will join in, but He will get praised or you won't join in. But He's not hanging on you and me singing this morning. He's going to be glorified. And so we say for the glory of God. That God would be magnified that image bearers, humans, create an image of God, 
would glorify Him through the building of the church because that's the goal of the Great Commission. Build the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So our great goal is the glory of God and the building of the church. That will never change. Because that's the mission of the Bible. So we're going to continue to preach the Bible. We're going to continue to open the Scriptures. We're going to continue to raise up new pastors and new elders. Who hold this vision highly. God's taken two of the best. But He's replaced them with eleven. Jim Lanier. Josh Pilgrim, Eric Cohn, Golden Goss, Brian Emerson, Jeff Maurer, Jonathan Purser, Patrick Bowers, Greg Sullivan, Brad Poston, Joseph Colston. Men God has raised up with a desire to shepherd the people of God. Who love this vision, love this mission, and are working to keep it intact. For the glory of God, build the church. We will stay on mission. But where do we do that? We say local and global. Why? Because that's the scope of the church, local and global. Local ministry. The chief, most important ministry we are involved in is connect groups. You need to be part of a group of people on the same mission. If you're not in one, come see us. We will get you in one. If you need to start one, we can start one. Guess what? You don't need a degree to do fellowship with each other. You need a Bible and each other. If you've got a Bible... And each other, guess what you have? Connect group. Fellowship. You just got to get together. You got to do it. And you know what I would love to see? I would love for us to lose track of that. I would love for that to be such a movement of the Spirit of God that we can't even keep our hands on how many there are because they're just multiplying like rabbits. So you know what I want to say to you? If you are part of this church, you're not in a connect group, just go start one. It's okay. A movement we can't control is a movement. If you can control it, it's not a movement. If you lose track of it, it's like, eh, it's just the Lord being, being God. Vital. Young Moms is coming under the work of Youth for Christ, who has the teen parents ministry. We continue to make that available, fund that. Buddy breaks, still going. Radical kids. Dude, we got to give our teachers a break. So every now and then we let them have a break, like once a month. And then in the summer we'll give them a little break because there's 70-plus kids back there, 70-plus workers hearing the gospel. Last week they came out with little, little shoes from, like, from China. They're learning about the Great Commission, and they're making these cool things, and they're coming home talking about China. My kids are talking about, I want to go live in China. I'm thinking, dear God, what are we doing? We're making missionaries. This is good. It's a ministry that's going on back there. And listen, that's a success. My, my oldest just stepped up in the youth group this morning. He's talking about the nations and the gospel. That's a movement that one day will be launched out of this body. And it's vital. So see Tanya, who need to sign up. The pregnancy center. Opportunities to counsel to keep our babies. An adoption agency that hopefully this time next year will be up and running in our name. Pregnancy Center sees hundreds of young ladies who decide to keep their babies. And many of those, not all of them, but some of them end up in Department of Family and Children's Services care. Of which I'm a board member for the county of Floyd. And we see those babies come through. Well, what, what would it be like if, if like, um, we were processing those babies into Christian homes rather than into Department of Family and Children's Services? That's going to happen by God's grace. You can already adopt and foster. Opportunities. Audiovisual help. This stuff didn't show up on a screen just magically. You know what I'm saying? Jeff works hard to make sure those things happen. Jeff needs a good five or six ladies and young men who want to come learn how to do sound and audiovisual. So if you're really wanting to do something, go see Jeff. Jeff will help you out. Jeff, raise your hand. See Jeff. We need help in those things. And that's just a sampling of the opportunities to serve. What about the global piece? I don't have time. I'm running out of time. But over the years, we sent off numerous people like Logan and April McAdams, who I had the privilege of leading Logan to faith in Jesus Christ as a high school student in our town some 17 years ago. He and his wife serve in a Muslim country. We raised them up. And there are many, many more like them. 
We keep couples on the field. We fund Willie and Vicky, Levi and Betsy, Carl. We fund projects. But the coolest thing that's happened over the past year is this. God has moved in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, Southeastern and Eastern Sessions. And they've adopted our people group. Now, here's the coolest part of this story. Is the Southeastern Sessions director works here. Our offices are down the hall from each other. And check this out, even cooler. I got an email from a guy in Boston who we know from this work. And he emailed me and said, hey, do you know Rob Davis and Jeff Chadwick? I'm like, ha! Do I know them? I'm down the hall from Rob right now. And we started this dialogue. And that puts us with 48 churches adopting our people group. This October, Rob and I will get on a plane and go over to our place and begin to see how we can engage as 48 plus 1 churches with our team already on the ground and a group of people already working there. That work's going forward. The Lord's just had us in a pattern of seeing where things go. 48. I don't even know what to do with 48 churches. You know what I'm saying? God is, start, God is moving among the nations. For the glory of God, build the church local and global by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. Plugged into Jesus, abiding in the vine. Making sure as people abiding in the vine, we're producing the fruit of the gospel. Evangelism. Making sure we're preaching the good news to people who need to hear it. And church planting. Guys, we know the truth. We know the truth, don't we? If you've been coming here long enough, you've heard enough Bible preached to know what you need to know. The challenge for us isn't do we know the truth. The challenge for us is will the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride and possessions rob us of a gospel movement? If we stay in love for God, love for each other, we build love for God and love for each other, and we stay on mission, we will defeat the lies of the evil one. And we'll see a movement of God in Roman Floyd County. Yes, God still is moving and is alive and well in Roman Floyd County. It is no inferior work to plant the gospel in this town. You want to want you know want to know how I know that? You. You are not less. Are you? You believe the gospel. You love Jesus, and you want to follow Him. And you know what? That means you matter. In the kingdom, we have a work to do together. We have a mission to pursue together, in fellowship, together, under the word. And together, we will see a great move of God. Oh, for the day, ten more years from now, when we're 20 years old, and we can look over churches planted, campuses planted all over our town, new believers, ministries. Why? Not because we're slicker. We're not. We're not slick at all. We're kind of rough, but because the gospel's power. Know the truth. Stay in the truth. Fight the world system. And I believe God will be God and do a great work. Let's be part of that. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for the opportunity this morning, Lord, to be in front of your people. These are your people. Um, they're not our people. Um, Chief Shepherd Jesus, we appeal to you to please shepherd your people well. We ask that you would put it in the hearts of other men to have a desire to shepherd your people. That the cost of that desire wouldn't be too hefty, but a great joy. We ask that you would move powerfully in the lives of our our people that you have given us to shepherd in such a way that a movement would begin that we can't even put our hands on. Lord, you promised in Ezekiel 36 that you would let us ask you for this, and that is to multiply our men like the flocks at Jerusalem during her appointed feast so that the waste cities will be filled. Will you continue to grow this body? Will you continue to grow this work? Not just at Three Rivers, but all over the county. Gospel-loving, Bible-preaching fellowships. We pray that you would grow a movement we pray that you would affect the nations through that. Father, specifically ask for three rivers that you would keep us in the truth. That we would not be attracted to any fancy, off 
beat doctrine, but we would stay in the truth. And we would fight against the world well. Help us to love each other and stay on mission, please. Lord, I pray against the evil one that may be seeking now to steal, kill, and destroy in the lives of your people. I pray you'd come against that and that you would win, that they would realize the victory we have over the evil one. Father, I pray now that you would move among your people in unity and peace and love for each other and our mission together for the sake of the gospel. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment, but I want to encourage you as we do. This is an opportunity to minister to the Lord in song, but it's also an opportunity to minister to one another. If the Spirit of God has given you a word for someone else to encourage them and to help them stay strong in the faith, would you go to them and share that word? If He has put a desire in you to pray for somebody, go to them and pray for them. Let's minister to one another now. As we worship the Lord, let's love each other together.